2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 to 20. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since, then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to the conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to, to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them, and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Father, we thank you for this day that you have given us. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity that we have now to consider the things of your word. We pray that you would not only be present with us as you promised to be, but that you would apply your word to our hearts and our lives, and that we would respond in faith and repentance, and that you would stir us uh, to live for Jesus, uh, to want to honour him with each day that we live. We pray in his name. Amen. Look, I hope you don't mind, but there's something I'd like to talk to you about. It's something which really changed my life, and I want to share it with you. How would you like to be financially independent in five years' time? I've discovered an amazing investment opportunity. Guaranteed returns. It's not a scam, I assure you. It's a legitimate business. And as your friend, I would hate for you to miss out on this. Have you ever had one of those conversations? Uh, I won't ask you if you've been responsible for one of those conversations. You can keep that part to yourself. But it's, it's an awkward experience, isn't it? Uh, I don't know about you, but I always feel like I've been somewhat cornered, feel perhaps that my friendship is being exploited. There's really nowhere to hide. Now this may not be your experience, but that's often how I feel people perceive me when I try to talk to them about Jesus, when I try to talk to them about matters of faith. I don't doubt that some people do perceive me that way. And the whole thing can become a bit awkward, even unpleasant. I can't help but feel like I'm trying to sell them something 
that perhaps they don't want, maybe don't even need. This is our third instalment in our little series looking at the church. And this week we're looking at the mission that God has given us. And the mission is that of proclaiming the good news of the gospel. This morning we're going to be thinking about what that means and a little bit about how we might be able to do that better. See, I think most of us would inherently understand that we should be involved in this thing that we call evangelism, sharing the good news about Jesus. Uh, We know we should be committed to telling other people about Jesus, but I think it's something most of us find really hard to do. I know I do. Now, there are all kinds of reasons why I think we might be reluctant to, to speak up about our faith, to share our faith. A fear of being labelled a fanatic or a bigot. Perhaps it's a craving to fit in with friends and colleagues. Maybe for you there's some underlying insecurity about the credibility of Christianity and the gospel message. Perhaps, maybe not that, but a fear that you yourself won't be able to defend those beliefs very well. You won't be able to answer the hard questions. It's this fear that you might end up feeling embarrassed or like you did more harm than good by the end of the conversation. Sometimes it can be those hesitations, but sometimes too I think it can be because we lack conviction. We lack conviction that it's really worth the bother. I mean, lots of people seem to be getting on just okay without Jesus. Why make everything complicated and awkward? See, not only do many of us find it hard to do, some of us find it a bit objectionable. Our culture's conditioned us to think that trying to convert people to your faith is arrogant, disrespectful, more than a little intolerant. It seems a very unwelcome conversation to have in a multicultural, secular society like ours. We're told that if you must have a faith, the very least you can do is keep that to yourself. Thank you very much. So I need to be reminded, I think, about why I should keep making an effort, why I should be bothered, and I suspect you do too. Because if we're not convicted about this, if we're not convinced that this is a good and necessary thing for us to be a part of, we're going to be hopeless at it. Because it's just too hard most of the time. So why should we do it? Well, for starters, because this is the mission Jesus gave his church. Uh, In Matthew chapter 28, we find the words of what we call the Great Commission. And notice the word mission is in that word commission. This is what Jesus tells his disciples he wants them to be doing after he departs. Because Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In Acts, Jesus reinforces and reiterates this command. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Before Jesus returns to his Father, He leaves his disciples with this task, this mission, to take the good news about him out, even to the very ends of the earth. His disciples were to go and make more disciples. 
that was and remains the mission of the church. God's plan is to use his church to grow his church as his people tell other people about Jesus. Now, it seems like an obvious thing to say, doesn't it? But I think there are occasions where we, the church, forget this. After 2,000 years, the church has grown to the point where, well, and history will bear out that we've assigned ourselves a bunch of other purposes over that time. And it's not to say that this is the sole purpose and function of the church. But for some people, they make the primary purpose of the church a, a political venture. Or the church is there as, as therapy for people. Or the church is there for its charitable purposes. Or perhaps to be society's moral conscience. But right from the beginning, Jesus makes it clear that we are to have this outward focus. It's an evangelistic mission. And that has to change. So there's a first reason why we should bother. Because this is the job Jesus has given us. But the second reason we should bother is because the stakes here are incredibly high. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that first verse in our reading today, makes this clear. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Hebrews 9 reminds us of the same thing. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. Let's not ever fall into the trap of thinking that people are fine without God. They are not. They are destined for judgment. People have no hope outside of Jesus. We need to remember that people are in desperate need of God's forgiveness. There is a judgment to come. People need to be reconciled to their maker. And so our concern should be that everyone comes to be in a right relationship with the one true and living God of this world. Both for God's sake, but for their sake too. It doesn't get any more serious than this, does it? People's eternal destiny is at stake. And so for those reasons, being a part of this mission is something that we should each feel convicted about. And something we should each feel compelled to be involved in. And it's this mission, it's this conviction which we see drive the disciples in the way that they lived. Uh, in the, the stories that we have recorded for us through the book of Acts and uh, in the letters of the New Testament. In the passage that we had read for us a little earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see the passions and the motivations of the apostles exposed for us. And it's helpful to reflect on uh, these words. Now I want to highlight just a few of those verses from 2 Corinthians 5. Paul's writing here and he says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Verse 14, he says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them, and was raised again. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, he says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So here we see the mission exposed again, that God has chosen to use 
us as his mouthpiece. Paul describes us as God's ambassadors in this world. As though God making his appeal through us. That's how God has promised to work. And in that last verse there we see what the appeal is. The appeal is to be reconciled to God. That is what we want for people. To be reconciled to God. To find peace with God. Paul's conviction was that the only way that can take place is through Christ. Because Christ is the one who died for all. You can only find that peace with God, be reconciled to God through the Saviour, the Son. And so he tries to persuade all that he needs, he says, to put their trust in Jesus. I love the language that Paul employs here. He says that uh, he'll try anything and everything to convince people to become followers of Jesus. He says he persuades them. He says he's compelled by the love of Christ. Later on, he talks about this appeal that he makes, and that he's even willing to implore people to be reconciled to God. This all comes from a place of deep conviction. But just as importantly, Paul says it comes from a place of love. It's God's love for people, and in turn, Paul's love for others, that compels him to speak. So it's okay to try and persuade people that Jesus is Lord. In fact, that's a loving thing you can do. We ought to be appealing to people, imploring them to put their trust in Jesus, to find salvation in his name, to be reconciled to God. This is a wonderful passage that gives us this great picture of what the mission looks like, that we are Christ's ambassadors in this world, compelled by love, imploring people to be reconciled to God. So what does that mean for you? I think one mistake we can make as we think about this and, and the mission is to expect that every single Christian person is going to be an eloquent and persuasive evangelist like a Billy Graham or an Apostle Paul. Scriptures make it clear that within the church, God's given us all different gifts, different abilities, and that as a, a body, we have different functions. And it's no different when it comes to evangelism. When Paul's writing to the Ephesians, he talks about some of the different roles and different responsibilities that appear in the church. He talks about the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. There are different gifts and different ways to serve within the life of the church. Some might be teachers and pastors. Some will be evangelists. But not all. We've all met those people, haven't we, who clearly have a, a unique, a special, dare I say, God-given ability to share the good news of the gospel with others. These people can engage strangers, it seems, winsomely in explaining the good news about Jesus. These are the evangelists. You would know some of them. They're in our church. But without naming names, I'd, I'd probably put my dad into this category. He has this kind of natural ability, perhaps better a supernatural ability, to talk about Jesus with workmates, with friends, with family members and neighbours. 
can do it in a way that isn't forced, it's sort of challenging and persuasive. And God has used him over the years to bring a bunch of people into the kingdom. But not everyone's like that. We shouldn't expect everyone to have those gifts. And we shouldn't feel guilty that we're not standing out on the street corner and trying to convert everyone who walks past. For the record, I think that kind of soapbox preaching has probably had its day. These days, I don't think it's a terribly persuasive way to communicate the good news in our culture. But that's not the story. Just because you may not be an evangelist in that kind of more narrow sense of the word, it doesn't mean that evangelism isn't your responsibility too. Because I think the other mistake we can make is thinking that this business of proclaiming the good news about Jesus, that's for a special few. And perhaps a special few who might be enthusiastic about it. You know, some of us are into tennis, some of us are into evangelism. If it's really not your thing, you don't need to concern yourself with it. Well, we all have a responsibility in this space. In fact, in 1 Peter, it even talks about, well, I'll read it for you. It says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We're each called to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. And I think hope there is a shorthand way of talking about our trust in Jesus. Most of us will only get those brief passing opportunities to talk to others about what we believe or why we live the way that we do, why we go to church. In the course of normal conversation, though, the challenge for us is that we are ready, that we're prepared. And the more prepared we are, the better able we'll be to respond. We'll get those opportunities to share the gospel. Even if you're not obviously an evangelist, we each need to be able to respond, explain what we believe, give the reason for the hope that we have. Now, I love that Peter also reminds us how to do that. He says we're to do it respectfully, we're to do it gently, not to go around jamming this down people's throats, we're to seek to understand people's worldviews, to uh, share the good news of Jesus. Sensitively, respectfully. But share it, we should. I think we've become too self conscious about talking to people about Jesus. We need to learn how to do it more naturally and unapologetically. And that is something I think that we can work on, something we can each get better at. There's no shortage of resources and tools out there to help you do that. It might be that. You need help trying to figure out well, what am I even going to say in trying to explain the gospel. Uh, there's plenty of tools, and I'm actually going to refer to a few, talk to you about a few of these next week. Um, some of the resources that are available to help you as you try and both understand the gospel more clearly yourself in order that you can explain it to others. But one of the really practical things I think that we can all do is think about how we can share our own story, call it your testimony. 
It's a helpful practice if you've never done it, to actually take the time to write out your story, to think about how God has worked in and through your life, what it means for you to be a follower of Jesus, and then actually practice telling that story. I'm not saying you should do that by rote, but the exercise itself is very helpful. It will give you more confidence to actually have that conversation with others, be willing to share that story with others. And in my experience, you'll be encouraged as you do that too, as you reflect on and are reminded of the ways in which God has worked in your life. We're not all evangelists, but we are all supposed to be committed to evangelism. Now, in its purest form, I think evangelism is telling people the message about Jesus with our words, the good news about who he is. But it's not only what we say that's important in this space as well. After all, Jesus said to his disciples, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. We should never underestimate just how different and even how impressive the love of God as it's expressed within the Christian community ought to be in our world. Not only is it honouring to God when we demonstrate his love to one another, but here it has a, a, a witness function as well. God will use that to provoke people to notice that difference, to, to wonder why. Our lives form part of our witness to this world. How we live matters too. Because people are watching. Now that's not to say that we need to be perfect. But we should at least be consistent, not open to that charge of being hypocrites. Even better, our lives should be such that they have an integrity about them, that they reflect the love of God in ways that people will be drawn to Jesus because they see his love in us. I don't want to make the distinction between our conduct and the gospel message itself, but our lives in and of themselves are not the message about Jesus, but they do form a huge part of the message that our world will hear. And if what people see in our lives doesn't match up with the message that we're trying to share with them, well, that's only going to undermine the gospel that we want them to come to trust in. Well, one other thing I think it's helpful to keep in mind is that even in thinking about all of this, it's helpful to remember that you can't make anybody become a Christian. As much as I might like to, I can't convince someone that they should put their trust in Jesus. Only God can do that work in someone's heart. That's why in all of this, we need to be people of prayer. Prayer both, I think, keeps us humble by reminding us that this is God's work. But more than that, God actually tells us that we should be praying about this stuff. Paul writes and asks his churches to pray for him as he does the work of an evangelist. He asks that doors would be open, that he'd be clear in what he has to say. Jesus tells his disciples to ask his heavenly father to send more workers out into the harvest field. If we're going to be serious about seeing our friends, our family, our neighbours, people who don't yet know Jesus, we want them to come to know him, we need to commit to pray for those people.
and to persevere in prayer, to appeal to God, to be merciful to Him. We need to entrust all our efforts to God, knowing that in the end, we can't argue anyone into the kingdom of God. It's only ever going to be a work of God in people's lives. But God has said that he's going to use us to do that work. Lots of reasons why you might struggle to share your faith. Don't want to be labelled too religious. Just want to keep the peace with friends and family. Maybe you're genuinely worried you won't be able to answer those difficult questions or explain things very helpfully. There are all kinds of reasons why we might not. But we need to get over ourselves. We need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It just matters too much. And I think the antidote to our reluctance, to our fears, is, is not to just try harder, but to reflect on what we've seen this morning, to remember that Jesus is Lord over all. He is the Saviour of the world. He is the judge of this world. We need to reflect on the reality of people's situation outside of knowing Christ. Remember that there is a judgment to come. Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. When we do that, we will still have our fears, but we'll care more about where people stand with God. We'll be compelled by love, as Paul says, and so we'll seek to persuade. We might even implore people to be reconciled to God in Jesus. And we shouldn't be surprised when we see God work. When God powerfully draws people into his family as we share that life-giving message about Jesus. Christian leads in prayer. Let's pray. And Father God, we thank you for the good news of Jesus and for his death and resurrection that have made it possible for us to be reconciled to you. We pray that you convict us of our need for salvation and of the great love and grace that you have shown to us through Jesus' death. In a world that so desperately needs to hear of that good news, please help us to step up to the challenge of living lives that bear witness to Jesus. We pray that you give us a heavenly perspective when we speak with others. Please help us not to shy away from difficult conversations and give us clarity when we share our faith. We thank you that your word is taught faithfully at our church. Please help each of us to be proactive in growing our understanding of your word so that we can more confidently speak about the hope we have in Christ. We bring before you those of our family, friends, neighbours and colleagues who don't know you yet. We are reminded today that each of them are precious to you. So we pray that you work in their hearts to turn them to you. We pray that you use us, use your church, to bring them closer to you and help us to persevere in keeping them in our prayers with the confidence of knowing that you are listening and have the power to save.
Pray this in your son's name.